0: It's the most beautiful time of the year. Lights feel the streets spreading so much cheer.
1: I should be playing in the winter snow, but I'ma be under the mistletoe.
0: I don't wanna miss. Oh, it's almost Christmas, guys, and kissing under the mistletoe is a well known holiday tradition. But have you ever stopped to think about why we do this, or what the heck mistletoe even is? Perhaps the earliest chapter in mistletoe folklore comes from Norse mythology. As the story goes, the god Odin had a son who was prophesied to die. His mother, Frigg, the goddess of love, then went to all the animals and plants of the natural world to secure an oath that they would not harm him. But Frigg neglected to consult with the unassuming mistletoe so the scheming god Loki made an arrow from the plant and saw that it was used to kill the otherwise invincible son. In one version of the story, Frigg cried over the dart lodged in her dead son, and the tears turned into berries that brought him back to life. In Return to the Miracle, Frigg declared mistletoe a symbol of love and vowed to plant a kiss on all those who pass beneath it. While the story has evolved many times through the ages and cultures around the world to eventually find itself in a Justin Bieber Christmas song, kissing under the mistletoe is actually the least interesting fact about this captivating plant. Mistletoe has been used as a love potion in sorcery, It's been used to ward off epilepsy and ulcers in ancient Rome. But why are so many cultures around the world and through the ages fascinated by the magic of mistletoe? Why this plant? Well, they're actually parasites that lodge themselves on the branches or roots of other plants. And this bizarre adaptation all started in Australia, the true home of mistletoe. By the end of this episode of Branch Out, I guarantee you that you'll see that kissing under mistletoe is the least interesting thing about this rare and bizarre group of plants. Are you recording now? Branch. 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 Branch Branch out. A podcast from the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney.
1: Yeah, mistletoes almost exclusively grow on tree branches and never actually touch the ground.
0: That's Dr Russell Barrett, a botanist from the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney with a keen interest in mistletoes.
1: Their roots attach into the branch of the the tree they're growing on Um, and they get all their nutrients that way directly from the tree and all their water comes from from the tree they're growing on. But there are just a handful of species around the world, uh, two in Australia and a few in Southern America, that actually grow as shrubs in the ground and attach to the roots of other trees and shrubs uh, rather than attaching to branches. The oldest mistletoe that's that's surviving today is the West Australian Christmas tree, Noizia floribunda. It actually has what looks like almost a pair of scissors on its root tip that as it pushes through the soil, effectively it's looking for, for roots to cut into. And so these scissor tips basically push in until they're sort of halfway through the root, and it uses that to form the connection with the roots of plants around it that it can then extract nutrients from.
0: It's pretty freaky and actually reminds me of something you'd seen in a movie about an alien parasite invasion like The Thing, but what happens when the mistletoe is searching for a host underground and it runs into something inorganic?
1: When they're running the, the first phone and, and telegraph lines between Perth and Geraldton, they ran them across the sand plains where Noitzia is particularly common.
0: Noitzia is
1: the mistletoe on the hunt for underground roots. And these first cables just kept breaking and they just had no idea why. And it turns out that the Noitzia roots were coming along. They just thought it was a tree root. They were looking for nutrients, so they kept on cutting through these cables because they weren't coming across uh, water nutrients, even though to them it felt like the were size to be another tree root.
0: Yep. This sapsucker has blades sharp enough to break skin and cut telephone wires. When one of its Edward Scissorhand-like roots meets another root, or cable, it forms a collar of tissue around it and looks like a swollen wedding ring then a hydraulically operated blade forms inside that. So is there any coming back from that?
1: Probably consulted the government botanist, Charles Gardner, who had... Um, His name was me- Charles Gardner. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 so he was the, yes, the uh, head botanist in Western Australia for, for many years and very, very well known. A plant that was cutting through telephone telephone lines would have been right up his alley so um, i'm sure he would have been involved in consulting there
0: but how did they stop a hungry scissor-bladed parasite from destroying everything in its path well turns out
1: mistletoes do have a limit from memory uh, they once they realized that these roots were, were cutting the cables they did then did some more investigation of digging up the roots of these mistletoe trees to see what size of roots they are actually attaching to, and realised there was a maximum size. Um, and it turned out the solution was they just had to add another millimetre to the thickness of the cable, and then it was too thick for the Noizia root to One
0: come One millimetre? Oh, that's crazy. Noizia's alarming culinary habits are also referred to in Vincent Cerventi's book Dryandra, The Story of an Australian Forest. So in the early 60s, the mistletoe also targeted a space-tracking station in Western Australia, which was connected by underground cables. Cerventi wrote, All went well until six months later. Somewhere the cables had short-circuited. The engineer raised the cable and found encircling it rings of white flesh. Cerventi even jokes that Noizia would have suffered some disgust, one imagines as there would be little nourishment in those messages from outer space. So even though Noitia is technically a parasite and it's caused so much damage to projects in Western Australia, it's still a local legend. It's actually known as THE Christmas tree in Western Australia because it blooms so dramatically in summer. The showy orange flowers have been likened to a bushfire without
1: smoke. And they're actually one of the few trees that you know, farmers would, would traditionally leave in their paddocks because they look so attractive. And so there's always been kind of a special association for Western Australians with, with the Nightsea tree.
0: But even though they're parasites stealing nutrients from other plants, it's not in the mistletoe's interest to kill their host.
1: They're a parasite in the sense that they're drawing a lot of their essential nutrients from their host. But it's rare they actually kill their host, so it's generally only in situations where their host is actually stressed by other factors.
0: In fact, some mistletoes even start to, well, become
1: their host. They actually adapt their form a lot to look like their host, um, partly simply because of the way mistletoes get their water from their host, that you have to have a higher water pressure than their host in order to draw water and nutrients through and to do that they often have to have similarly sized but slightly larger leaves in their host and so there's this physiological requirement that almost necessitates them becoming quite like their host in appearance because they have to have similarly shaped leaves in order to have that competitive water advantage and so that leads their host to determine their appearance.
0: Okay now this is really starting to sound like that movie The Thing you know where the parasitic extraterrestrial life form assimilates and then imitates other organisms but it gets better.
1: Sometimes mistletoes will even grow on other mistletoes. Oh my Uh, god. (laughs) And so you can actually have these these chains of mistletoes and so I think the the record is five, and each one has to have this staged uh, water pressure gradient that I was discussing before, no. so it's quite remarkable that you can get these chains of mistletoes growing on each other.
0: But there are some mistletoes that are very particular about who they want to attach to and suck nutrients from.
1: There's a species that's found in the Kimberley in Northern Territory that only grows on banksia trees, and so particularly in the Kimberley that species is now incredibly rare the point that's only actually been ever collected five times in the Kimberley and so I've only ever seen it once and only a handful of plants and so there was probably some specific adaptation that this mistletoe had developed in its seedlings to be able to get get through the bark of the banksia tree and utilize that as a host. There's one species that's quite widespread across northern Australia that grows on mangroves Um, and so that's unusual and particularly outside the branches often There's a lot of salts that the seedling has to, I guess, avoid in attaching to its mangrove hosts. The fact that an association like this developed so few times does say just how rare and how random some of these events are. They've been able to exploit a new habitat, in this case tree branches, to then occupy a niche where essentially they don't have competition in most areas. It just reinforces how unique mistletoes are.
0: Lack of competition in Australia has resulted in about 90 different species of mistletoe. And there is only one species in Europe, but it's the one that gets all the Christmas promo.
1: Traditionally, two key mistletoe families have been recognised, the Viscaceae and the Lauranthaceae, and the European mistletoe belongs in the Viscaceae. So Viscum album is the the sole species of mistletoe native in Europe. And that's a species with uh, fairly reduced leaves and quite inconspicuous flowers, whereas a lot of the Australian species in the Lorient they see so you have much more conspicuous larger leaves and often very conspicuous flowers. And so there's been a lot of debate as to, well, where did mistletoe originate? Um, how did they come to actually be a life form that predominantly grows in trees? Um, and because there's so many species around the world and some unusual um, species. We've had these questions of well, where did they originate.
0: So, Russell and a team of international researchers decided to find out, and they recently published their findings in a paper.
1: So, essentially, we were taking um, leaf material and extracting DNA to use essentially a DNA fingerprinting technique and looking at particular markers, which we hoped would give us, I guess, a historical picture of how closely related all these different groups of mistletoes are from right around the world to try and reconstruct um, when some of these different groups of mistletoes actually diverged from each other and where they actually diverged from each other so we can try and build up a picture of their, their, I guess, ancient history So I guess some of our really interesting findings was showing that Essentially the origin of mistletoes is within Australia or probably the part of Australia which was attached to Gondwana but at the stage when it was almost separated. The data showed that the oldest surviving lineage is the Western Australian Christmas tree, Noizia, and then one of the next lineages is Atkinsonia.
0: Atkinsonia is a mistletoe shrub that attaches itself to the underground roots like the West Australian Christmas tree but it's only found in the Blue Mountains, northwest of Sydney.
1: And so that provides a reasonable evidence to suggest that the very first mistletoes probably were shrubs which attached their roots to the roots of other plants. And over time, because they were attaching to these other plants, the distance between them probably grew shorter. So these plants were probably over time moved up the stems and occupied these higher niches on the branches.
0: If you thought that the fact mistletoes have evolved to attach themselves to the roots and then branches of other plants was unique, well, Australian mistletoes are also reliant on another living thing.
1: Almost all mistletoes have uh, fleshy fruits, and so those fleshy fruits are uh uh, rich in sugars and very attractive to birds and so most mistletoes are dispersed by birds and in Australia we have uh, what is co- commonly called the mistletoe bird so the mistletoe bird is quite a small bird in the honeypecker family essentially their, their primary food is mistletoe fruit and most of the fruit pass through a mistletoe bird in, a, in less than 10 minutes. The seed is passing through very quickly so the seed itself isn't affected and the mistletoe bird is just getting some of that sugar Off the outer coating and it's just long enough to break down the outer coating of the fruit and reveal uh, quite a sticky mass of the fruit inside. And so it means when the mistletoe bird goes to the next tree and perches and leaves the fruit behind, the fruit is sticky enough to stick to the branch.
0: And within days, a tiny tendril emerges from the seed, growing quickly and secreting a cocktail of enzymes directly onto the outer layer of the branch. Unable to resist the onslaught, the bark produces a small ulcer-like hole into which the tendril probes, seeking its way down into the sappy tree tissue until it hits the water and mineral-rich plumbing of the tree. But mistletoe birds haven't always been in Australia, spreading mistletoe seeds.
1: So in the, in the age of mistletoes, with, with a history now well over 30 million years, the mistletoe birds is a relative newcomer. It's actually come down from Asia, that's where its relatives are. So it's, that's really only been in Australia the last million years.
0: So before mistletoe birds arrived in Australia only one million years ago, doves, honey eaters and cuckoos were doing the job. This unique relationship between mistletoes and birds has helped explain how this weird plant is now found in so many different parts of the world.
1: The mistletoes got to Asia from Australia somewhere in the order of 25 to 30 million years ago, which is actually very early in um, the evolution of mistletoes, and it's also when Australia and Asia were quite well separated. And so some of the the very first islands were being pushed up in between mainland Asia and Australia. And so we're right on the edge of when birds could actually island hop between Australia and Asia. And so some of those earliest birds were probably actually being sustained by mistletoe fruit to make these long cross-ocean voyages.
0: But earlier Russell said that it only takes about 10 minutes for a mistletoe seed to pass through a mistletoe bird. So it does make you wonder how these earlier birds would have held on long enough
1: while island hopping long distances. Other fruits have been recorded as being held in the guts for over five hours and essentially from where the islands popped up between Australia and Asia we know those are the kinds of distances that had to be covered in order for the first mistletoes to get out of Australia. And so essentially it was only pigeons and, and cuckoos that were around at that time and capable of making such long transoceanic voyages to carry mistletoe seeds across. So it's quite remarkable that mistletoes managed to get into Asia as early as they did, given the, the limiting factors of how few birds could have made those journeys and how long those seeds had to stay in the gut of the bird in order to island hop.
0: Mistletoes are remarkable and you can find them referenced, admired and used throughout various cultures around the world because of their supposed mythical, spiritual and medicinal properties.
1: The mistletoe was clearly gaining life from another organism, so perhaps when someone was ill in a way that they were expected to die, they perhaps thought that maybe this mistletoe might have a mythical power which would reintroduce life to this person who was otherwise going to die. So just as a mistletoe takes life from another tree, maybe this sick person can take life from the mistletoe.
0: And because Australia is the birthplace of mistletoe, it has also been an important part of some
1: Aboriginal people's cultures. The Aboriginal people recognise that certain mistletoe species did actually have medicinal properties in the leaves and stems that were useful for combating things like colds and related illnesses. It's actually very soft stemmed, and if you break open a trunk, you can actually peel back layers of the stem like an onion. But one of the things that that means, because they're so soft stemmed, is they can't actually survive fire, and so the mistletoes are one of the markers for the condition of country, and so they were one of the things which Aboriginal people used to note well are we burning this area often enough or or too much based on whether mistletoes were, were disappearing from certain trees in the area.
0: The West Australian Christmas tree is also very sacred to the Noongar Aboriginal people in Perth because it's seen as a transit point for dead spirits and is intimately connected to the afterlife. A Noongar elder explains that a spirit sits on the tree until it flowers. Then the spirit moves on to the spirit world in conjunction with easterly winds and fire which eventually takes his spirit out over the sea. Okay, yes, the mistletoe might be a parasite that steals nutrients, but at the end of the day, it does give back. Whether that's a source of food for birds, an ingredient in a love potion, a line in a Justin Bieber Christmas song, or an indicator of the condition of country. So if you find yourself underneath a sprig of mistletoe this holiday season, maybe instead of sharing a kiss, you can share a fun fact about them instead. I was so eager to share the magic and mystery of mistletoes with you before Christmas, so I shuffled some things around. The next episode, we're definitely going on that tour, I promise, with Aboriginal Education Officer, Kalcony Chilbra to learn about the Gadigal people, the traditional owners of the Sydney city area. So when the Gadigal women here first saw the English women, they loved their red cheeks. So they collected the pine cones from the casuarina here, they crushed them to make a pink red rouge, put it on their cheeks to mimic those English women. Those beans uh, sort of introduce us to our three D's here in Australia. Death, diarrhea, death by diarrhea. To make sure you get that podcast episode delivered straight into your app, hit subscribe. And if you haven't already, please leave a five star rating and a review. It helps more people find Branch Out. In the meantime, if you want to know more about how world leading scientists are delivering solutions to some of the world's most critical environmental issues, head to the science page on the Royal Botanic Garden Sydney's website. I'm Vanessa Fuchs, and I produce this episode of Branch Out.